Welcome, everybody, in-house, online, in New Zealand, overseas, wherever you are. Thank you for joining with us. I want you to know we love you all. You are special to us, and we don't take for granted and take lightly that you have tuned in or you're sitting in this auditorium here today to hear this message. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here in this place. And Holy Spirit, we have truly come because we're hungry for you. We want to hear your voice. And we want our lives to be touched and impacted by your word and by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come? I thank you that you are alongside every person in this room. And each one is an individual to you. We're not just a crowd. And online, it's the same. And Holy Spirit, you want to say something and do something in every individual's life. And I ask that you would, that we would leave here having been impacted, Holy Spirit, by you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. We've been talking about truth of late, and the world has rejected truth. It's tragic. It's more tragic than anyone, I think, realizes that, that maybe even re we realize. But the result is that the society has now been built on lies and more lies and more lies, and we're seeing the collapse of civilization because it's, everything is built on truth. Even your own life, it's got to be built on truth. If it's not built on truth, it will eventually collapse in one way, shape, or form. Um, we read in John 6, 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we read of Satan, John 8, 44, there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. So the battle of the ages is now between truth and lies. I want you to be really alerted to that now because what you're going to be confronted with on a daily basis is there's going to be all these lies thrown at you from every possible means, you know, from the newspapers, from the from the from a journalist, from social media, from the internet, from from movies, from you know clips online, whatever, wherever you're looking, whatever you're seeing, billboards, advertising, it's going to thrust lie after lie after lie after lie at you, and uh, you know, and you will and unless you are locked inside this book, uh, which is the only source of truth. Uh, this is the fact. This is where you find truth. So if we're not absorbing what is in this book, friends. I don't want to overstate this, but you have no option but to live your life according to lies. Do you get that? If you're not in this book, you have no option because all you're feeding is coming from the lies of the world. So you'll play out your life based on that. And I think you would be shocked, and I would be shocked if we knew how much of our lives are, based, are being lived out based on lies that we have actually taken in and absorbed. And I think it's, it's a, just a tragic thing that has taken place. So um, the importance of this book uh, uh, cannot really ever be overstated. So in Genesis, Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all right? The result of that was that fallen man, sinful man, whose heart is desperately wicked, now became the definer of what is good and what is evil. So the world out there is now telling us what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, what is okay, what is not okay, and they've got it wrong. And I read the statement, the problem was not the apple in the tree, it was the pear on the ground. 
Some of you will get it when you get home. The theme of New Zealand and beyond is urgency from last year. All right, that was our last year's theme. Just want to talk about that for a moment because we missed out on having those messages. But there is an urgency right now, friends, for the church to rise and to fight for truth like never before. As more and more laws are presented to us, someone somewhere has to stand up and say, no, we can't have this continuing. We can't let more and more laws just get passed without at least a fight, without at least a battle, without at least stepping up and making our voice heard. It's time for your voice to be heard. Friends, we can't be shut down, locked down, closed down and uh, muted forever. Because if we don't, the voice of the devil will get louder and louder and those who represent him will get louder and louder and louder. This is a time for urgency. Listen to what Martin Luther King, who brought great change, said this. You know, we can have desire, right? But without urgency, we don't act. Nothing changes. So this is what Martin Luther King said. He said, we're confronted with the fierce urgency of now. Everyone say, fierce urgency. Yeah, of now. And he went on to say, this is no time for apathy or complacency. This is the time for vigorous, positive action. Tell the person next to you, vigorous, positive action. Come on. Vigorous. (laughs) That's about how like I preach, I guess. (laughs) Positive action. All right. See, the, the, the point is this. Urgency is the one thing that separates you from the crowd. Yeah. When you have urgency, you know, people of urgency make a difference in the world. It's going to separate you from the... How many people would like to be separated from the crowd in this house? Four of us. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm not sure. We all just keep preaching anyway. But that... And people of urgency, how many of you would like to make a difference? People of urgency... Make a difference. Why don't you pray a prayer right now? God, put some urgency in my spirit. Go on, I dare you to pray it. Because mm. mm. as he does, you'll rise to action. And you know what? You can make a difference. That's the amazing thing. We can all make a difference in this world. Joel 3, 39, uh, 3 verse 9. Wake up the mighty men, and I'll add that woman as well. Wake up the mighty men and women, Romans 13, 11. It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Tell the person next to you, wake up. (laughs) Some people say, why does he do that? Well, exactly for that reason, to wake people up, because I know some fall asleep while I'm preaching. That's why I preach louder sometimes. All right, Mandrei Sakharov gave the Soviets the atomic bomb. Before he died, he said, I've always thought the atomic bomb was the most powerful weapon in the world. He said, I've changed my mind. He said, the most powerful weapon in the world is truth. Truth is more important than justice. Listen carefully. More important than justice. Because the world is overflowed with bloodshed in supposedly just causes. Everyone feels their cause is just. And in the quest for justice, truth was an early casualty. Many of the wars have been fought based on lie after lie after lie. 
So the sake of justice, we forsook truth. And I want to add that it's very easy for the sake of compassion to forsake truth and for truth to be a casualty. So truth is so important. So what I want to share with you right now is that God wants the very best for your life. How many of you know that? that's, That's what God is like. John 10, verse 10, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's his will for you. Another verse, you want another one? Sure. Psalm 23, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is the book. This is the Bible. God wants the best for you. He has an amazing plan for your life, one of purpose, one of future, one of satisfaction, one of fulfillment, one of excitement. That's what God has for you. But I know some of you are asking the question, Well, that sounds fantastic, Pastor, but how on earth can I ever experience that? Because a lot of people, you've heard it, haven't you, so many times, but you go home and you think, but but it's not happening for me. I know I'm going to have the abundant life. I know I'm going to be satisfied, fulfilled. I know I'm going to have goodness following after me, but it's not happening. Why? I'm going to try and answer that question for you today. You will not like the answer, all right? But I'm going to tell you anyway, because it's in the book. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. All right. The key to a blessed life, to experience what's in this book, is you can't just read it, you can't just hear it, you can't just listen to it, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. <laughs> you got to do it. (laughs) And this is a challenge. So coming out of COVID-19, there's a new culture we're going to pursue in Church Unlimited, across our campuses, online, with a passion and a zeal that's going to be frightening. We are no longer just going to be listeners and hearers. We're going to be doers of the Word in Jesus' name. Thank you for that overwhelming response to that point. But never mind, I will keep on preaching. All right. You see, we won't enjoy the blessings of God. We've got to get this, friends, by just coming to church and listening to sermons, going online, listening to messages, reading the Bible. Won't do it. Are you hearing me? Because you need to. See, we love the promises. We don't like the conditions. We claim the promises and ignore the conditions and then say, God, but why... What happened? For one example, my God should supply all my needs. Oh, yes, God. And you, wait a minute. The condition is the person that promise was given to was those who gave to missions. It was given to a missions church. That's who it was promised to. It wasn't promised. You can't just claim that, friends. There's a condition to that promise. You've got to give to mission. We love the promises. Okay. So in 1992, there was a hurricane, Andrew, Ripped through southern Florida, Florida, flattened a thousand houses. It was a disaster. Homes. But one remained standing. Out of that, one was remained standing. So they went to the owner and they said, What's the deal? How come everyone else is flattened and your house is still standing, un- unscathed? So this is what he said. He said, Well, I built the house myself. And he said, I did everything according to the Florida building code. So when the building code called for two foot, two inch by six inch foot roof trusses, I used two inch by six inch trusses. 
I was told that a house built according to the code would withstand a hurricane. And, and he said, and my house did. He said he went to all the trouble, all the expense of fully complying with the building code, and his house was able to stand. Friends, and you and I will build our lives according to the code made clear in this book. We will withstand any storm. We will withstand any hurricane. Nothing will take us down. Nothing will take us out. Friends, we will survive no matter what life may throw at us. So why don't we read together exactly how to build according to the code found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Say with me, and does them. Let's say it together, and does them. Okay, hearing's not enough, friends. We gotta do I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and the heat and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, listen to sermons, watches internet movie uh, programs and preachers, everyone who hears but does not do them. This is serious, isn't it, folks? I hope you're getting the gravity of this. To me, this is the, probably the biggest challenge confronting the church and Christians today. Western church worldwide. To me, this is probably the biggest issue. I will liken him to the man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, the key verse there is verse 27. Well, it's not the key verse, but the key point here is you've got to hear and do what it says. So Chuck Swindle tells this great story. <clears throat> he says, uh, he said, look, you're my executive assistant, and I want to expand overseas, so I, I'm going to move to Europe for eight months, establish a new branch, and I'm leaving you in charge, but I'll send you regular letters with detailed instructions to follow. <clears throat> Finally, he returns, and he said and he was stunned by the mess outside the building. He said the receptionist was doing her nails, listening to the music, Rubbish bins were overflowing, and I found you, my executive assistant, playing computer games with the sales manager, and I asked, what's going on? Didn't you get my letters and instructions? They said, he said, yeah, we got them all. Really? He said, look, we even had letter study every Friday night. We divided the staff into small groups, and we discussed the letters. Some instructions were really good, inspiring. He said a few of us even memorized some of the details that you sent us. The boss says, okay, so you got my letters, you read them, you had study groups, and you memorized them, but what did you do about them? Do? What do you mean do? We didn't do anything. That's friends, is a perfect description of the foolish builder in Matthew 7, 7, who heard the words, the letters of Jesus, but didn't do them. Knew the code, but did not comply with the code. I can't, as pastor, stress to you strong enough today that unless you start to build your life on the code, there are perilous days ahead. Yeah. 
There are troublous times in store for us, friends. And if we don't build, get into this book and build accordingly, do what it says, we will crash. And our nation, Western nations, are full of Christians who have crashed, friends. And one of the reasons is they weren't in this book and doing what it says. These, are, these really are very serious times, friends, in which we are living. And I can't encourage you enough. But, you know, you can't build according to the code if you don't know what's in the code. And one of the tragedies of the Western church is that they say up to 85% of Christians do not read this book Monday through to Sunday. There's no chance of survival, friends. This is the reality of what we're facing in the Western church today. They say the two biggest problems with the church today is we don't pray enough and we don't read the Bible enough. Now, before you feel too badly about this, I want to say this as church leaders and as a church leader, as a pastor, we have allowed this culture to develop. And so I take responsibility. And I trust most other pastors will take responsibility as well. Because unbelievably, what we've allowed to happen is that after a sermon has been preached, the focus has become how good was that message and not what am I going to do. I'm sick of hearing about someone being a good preacher. It's meaningless, friends. Oh, you know, he can preach well, she can preach well. So what, friends? So what we've, what we've now developed is a celebrity culture of preachers who become like many gods that we worship, friends. And it's wrong. It's not God's intention. So the devil's masterstroke is put the focus on the preaching and not on the doing, and this church is going down the drain. Friends, we've got to shift away from, we don't need celebrity preachers. We need celebrity doers. People who do the Word, people who obey the Word, people who live the Word, people whose lives demonstrate what is in this book, starting with me. I own this. I take responsibility. But we're going to shift the narrative. Friends, preaching is, you've heard me say it so often, it's so overrated. We've got to get back to, you know, at the end of the sermon, you know, the the thing that should be on your mind is not, gosh, that was a great sermon. But no, this is what I'm going to do. If we can make that shift, wow, it will be absolutely fantastic. It's the key to the future. See, one step of obedience is worth years of hearing sermons. Think about that. You can come here for five years and hear 250 sermons and go away after each one and say, wow, what a great message. I'm here to tell you one step of obedience One step of obedience is worth more than five years of listening to sermons. Tell the person next to you, one step of obedience. One step. (laughs) We're not talking about a hundred step. We're talking about one step of obedience. See, the best preaching in the world will not make us mature Christians. Do you know, we go online, we find the best preaching. Oh, I'm listening to this one. I'm listening to that one. Wow, wow. No, friends. Jesus was the finest preacher ever to grace this planet. And most of his disciples walked away from him. His preaching had limited impact on those who heard him in person. 
Thank you, Luke, for some of us as preaching is having a bit more impact today. So the finest preaching in the world, friends. This is the big mistake that's been made as we go searching for the best preachers. No, friends, it's just not the way, not the way it should be. I know I'm right, right out there and saying some of these things, but hey, it's what I believe deep within my heart. See, when we obey God's word, two things happen. Two things. Number one, when we obey, we actually understand what the book means. Yeah. We understand what a verse means. When you do it, you say, oh, that's what it means. It's amazing. I was going to say something else there, but I'll restrain myself. And the second thing that happens, when you, when you do this book, you get transformed. See, the bridge, listen carefully. I might come on the screen, I'm not sure. The bridge between information and transformation is doing, obeying the truth. That's what transforms you. Not just hearing it, friends. But when you do it, transformation. We've got to catch that bridge, friends. The bridge of doing. It is life-changing. It's liberating. It brings freedom. It brings blessing. It it, it creates a Christianity that works. See, I was talking to Jody about this the other day. I'm on a mission, friends, to present to the church, our church and every church, a Christianity that actually works. Not one that sounds great, not one that feels good, but actually works, that actually changes lives, that actually sets people free, that actually transforms people, that actually heals people, that actually delivers people, that actually makes people feel that they're loved, cared for, and that are of value, and that there's meaning and purpose in life. I want a Christianity that works, so help me, God, to present that. We're desperate for it, friends. Well, I am. I don't know about you. I'm desperate for it. But for, to get there, we've got to preach the truth of God's word. Deuteronomy 28, 13, listen to this. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. We all want that. You shall go up and not down. Wow, thank you, Jesus. What's the next word? Oh, shucks. Another one of those ifs. Get rid of the ifs. Someone get the Bible and twink out all the ifs, please. Make our lives a lot easier. You don't want to read the rest, do you? If what? You obey the commandments of the Lord. Yeah, we want to go up, not down. We want to be the head and not the tail. And we look at the first part of the verse, but we skip the if. Church Unlimited is bringing back the if. Bring back the if. (laughs) Bring back the if. What do they have? What's one of those famous ones? What did bring back, bring that buck it was years ago, wasn't it? Forget that. No, but bring back the if. Because it's life. Life is in the if. All right. So the culture we're pursuing is we build our lives on the authority of God's word. Do you know some people don't accept the authority of the whole book? <laughs> they think, you know, like, they, they, just, they just sort of, no, I, I cross that verse out. Yeah, no, cross that one out. I don't like that one. Cross that one out. Gosh, there's a lot here I don't like. Cross that one out. Actually, there's not much left. There's only one page left now. Most of it I don't like. No, no, no. 2 Timothy 3.16. Isn't it? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Everyone say all scripture. That means Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The whole lot. The whole shooting box, friends. It's all given by God. Hey, look. You're not going to get me cutting out what God said and face his wrath. I'm just not going to do that. So it's all given by God. But you see, undermining the authority of God's word began in Eden. 
When Satan came to Eve, Adam and Eve said, basically said, did God really say that? Did God, did he, now come on, think Adam, think Eve. He can't have meant that, can he? Ah. When we begin to question the scriptures, we begin to question, you know, is it really God's will to heal? Like, really? I'm not sure. We lose our authority. You know, is, if I put God first, Will he really add all these things to me? Oh, I'm not sure. If you're not sure, you lose your authority. Is heaven really real? Is hell real? Start to question. Once you start to question, you're on a slippery slope. If you start to question one verse, see, if one verse is not right, what makes you believe any verses are right? Huh? If you reject one part of this Bible, well, you might as well reject the whole lot. Well, I don't believe in heaven. Oh, well, then why would you believe anything else in it? Well, I don't believe in hell. Well, why would you believe anything else in the book? Dangerous territory, isn't it? So we believe in the authority of God's word, and we live our lives in continent. See, many people choose, to choose their theology to fit their lifestyle. <laughs> we need to choose our lifestyle to fit God's word. God's word is like a mirror. You look in the mirror. You know, the Bible talks about it being a mirror. We'll, we'll probably get, it's found in James anyway. It's like a mirror. And so we look in a mirror. Why do we look in a mirror? How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Yeah, the rest of you needed to. <laughs> I was thinking that when I saw some of you. <clears throat> so you look in the mirror. And then, uh, see, I looked in the mirror this morning. It's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> I looked in the mirror, and then I decided I, I, needed, a, I needed to have a shave, which I did that. I uh, put on a bit of eyeshadow, which is pretty light-colored. You can't see it. A bit of powder on my face, and then I was ready to face the world. I noticed some of you ladies this morning, you looked in the mirror, and an hour later, you were ready to face the world. <laughs> Two hours later, sorry to underestimate you. As someone famously said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Mm. Do not say to the person he's talking about you. All right, okay. But the point is, the point is we look in a mirror, we see what we're like, and we do something. All right? So when you read the book, you hear a sermon, it shows you what you are like. Do something! Do something! It will change your life and set you free forever. One step of obedience will set you on fire. All right, so we've got to live within the boundaries of this book, all right? Uh, boundaries and restrictions are the way to freedom. So think about the boundaries like this here. This is the boundary, all right? So this is the boundary of the book. You live inside this boundary, there's freedom, there's provision, there's presence, there's protection, there's fulfillment, there's joy, there's life, there's peace, there's satisfaction, there's, every, there's the abundant life. God will add everything to you if you live inside the boundaries of this book and obey. But if you go outside the boundaries, you're going to fall off into a cliff and get yourself into very serious trouble. The problem is when, we're, when things get difficult, we're tempted to go outside the boundaries. Let me give you two examples. Number one, we're in a financial struggle. So we go outside the boundaries and we rob a bank. 
No, you don't rob a bank. What do you do instead? You rob God. You withhold your tithes and your offerings. Maybe during COVID-19, it's been a bit tough, so you withhold for a while, friends. But friends, you're stepping outside the boundaries of God's word. You've got to stay in the boundary. When the pressure comes on, you stay inside the boundaries of God's word. Maybe there is a struggle in the area of love. You know, you're, you're needing love. Hey, we're all needing love. Come on, let's face it. I need love. You need love. Everyone needs love. It's all about love. But the temptation is to go outside the boundaries of God's word in search of love to get our needs met. So you, you know, you're single and a non-Christian starts showing real interest in you. 2 Timothy 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, here's the boundary. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Stay inside the boundaries and trust God. Everyone say, trust God. God. Yeah, thank you. Maybe there's a struggle in your marriage. You're feeling pain. You're feeling loneliness. You're feeling it's difficult. And there's a nice looking man or woman that just keeps smiling at you. Listen. Don't even think about it. Tell the person next to you, don't even think about it. Some of you here, you have a lot of nice people smiling at you because you're so good looking, you're so handsome, you're so appealing, and you've got lots of money. And that's all they're really interested in. (laughs) Just saying, all right. You get the point, eh? The thing is... (laughs) Stay inside the boundaries. Uh huh. That's where there's life. That's where there's blessing. I'm telling you, outside the boundaries is trouble. Everyone say trouble. Uh huh. Anyone want trouble? No, we don't want trouble. Stay inside the boundaries of God's word. All right, we're going to start wrapping this up. Hindrances to Bible reading, the top three. Number one, discipline. Lack of self-discipline, 28%. Distracted by other activities, boy, that's a big one, 26%. Too busy, 24%. I want to repeat to you what I shared about a month ago about how dramatically the Word of God can change your life and transform you. There's a survey of 40,000 people, those who read the Bible once a week, twice a week, three weeks, virtually no change. If you're only in this thing three times a week, probably it's not gonna make any difference in your life. It might, but it's gonna be very little. There's a massive survey done. Once you get into it, engage with this book four times a week, here's some of the statistics that come out. They say after four times a week, loneliness drops in your life by 30%. Anger reduces by 32%. Bitterness drops by 40%. Alcoholism by 57%. This is a big one. Viewing porn drops by 61%. 61% viewing porn. This book changes you. This book is your life. This is your life. It'll set you free. But they're, they're the statistics. 40,000 people. About four times a week, engage with it. Not just read a verse, by the way. You know, let, let's say, I want to suggest a minimum of, say, 20 minutes. Four times a week. Watch what it will do in your life. You see, here's a quiz for you, all right, for you Bible scholars. scholars. I've gone over time. All right. Which of the following aren't in the Bible? Cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Confession is good for the soul. Money is the root of all evil. Honesty is the best policy. How many of those are in the Bible? None of them are in the Bible. Zero. So the danger is we treat man's opinions with as much respect as we treat the Bible. Okay, so my conclusion is this. 
How will you put this message into practice? We're confronted with the urgency of the hour. It is time for vigorous action. I want to start by saying, let's make that action by doing God's word. So we can no longer be just hearers. Because if we are, we won't enjoy the abundant life God has for us. Our nation will continue to decline. The church will remain lukewarm and the lost unreached. Make some decisions today. Doer of the word. Number one, I will read the Bible every day. Decision number one. I'll no longer just be a hearer of the word I will, and sermons. I'll be a doer. That's number two. Number three, I'll live within the boundaries of this book. That's number three. Number four, I'll be a steward of truth and represent Jesus to everyone I meet. And finally, I will be a champion for the Bible and doing what it says in Jesus' name. Amen.